Good evening, church. Thank you so much for joining us tonight uh, for this time. Of course, um, we always have Christ's uh, atonement for us at the center of our services. Uh, in some ways, it is not a different kind of service. I do want to bring our attention to something from Scripture briefly tonight. Uh, we'll look at uh, just two uh, short verses. Um, but in order to do that, I feel like I need to prep the table a certain way. Um, we are, we often think of ourselves as Christians as people that should not fight. We're not fighters, we're supposed to be peacemakers. In one sense, that's true, a, a kind of peacemaker. Uh, but Paul teaches us that our, when he says our battle is not against flesh and blood, he's not saying you don't have a battle. What he's saying is you're battling against the wrong enemy. And so we take sides, and if we're Republicans, our enemy is the Democrats. And if you're, you know, if, if you're on one side of the aisle, your enemy is someone on the other side of the aisle. If, if you're one theological camp, your enemy is someone who you might deem a heretic, etc., etc. And Paul's saying there's, these are fights worth fighting, but the enemy is not people. The enemy is something else behind the scenes. And especially in our world, as scientific and technologically advanced as we are in this time and in this place, we can tend to lose sight of a real fight that's going on that we're supposed to be fighting, that we're supposed to be aware of and thinking about. That has everything to do with communion. Um, I'm told uh, uh, by a friend of mine who works with the Caring Network that's through whom we do the, the baby bank that we're doing now at, at, at church. Most of the moms that come in, they're pregnant. They come in, if they get to the ultrasound room, almost every single one of them decides to keep the baby. Nothing changed. It's not like in the ultrasound room, something happened inside her womb. What changed was she was able to see it, to see the child in there. That's what changed. And whether you are aware of it or not, there is spiritual warfare happening. I don't know all the details. The Bible doesn't tell us everything about it. We have a very vague understanding that there are uh, benevolent spirits that serve the Lord. We call them angels. There are evil spirits, unclean spirits, demons of different ranks, of different powers. They, we know they're roaming around. And there's a devil at their head. And if we lose sight of this, it's easy to do what Aaron was talking about, where we just kind of understand facts about the Bible. We lose the weight of what Christ did here. And uh, the author of Hebrews helps us see that the death of Christ uh, does something in particular with that exact battle. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews book of Hebrews, and right at chapter 2, here, so you're toward the end of the Bible, we'll look at chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 5, I'm going to read through verse 18 to put the context in front of us, 
I'm going to look at just two of those verses, 14 and 15. But let's, let's start further back. He's arguing that Jesus is better than the angels. Obviously, for this to make any sense to you, you have to believe in angels. <laughs> and as powerful as they are, I think one of the reasons why God doesn't give us a whole lot of details on them is because we already have enough people that collect ceramic angels and think about them too much, credit too much to them, demons are behind everything. Uh, with the sparse details we have, we already kind of get distracted. But if we lose the reality, we don't even get the point of what he's saying here. Verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5, we'll start there. For it was not to angels, why is Jesus better than angels? It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control, Jesus' control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for who a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What an apt and fitting phrase for a night where we partake of communion. Tasting death. Verse 10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I promise a rather brief exposition tonight, and I explain that I'll probably be focusing on just 14 and 15. But the point I want to score with you is how easily we can pass by the fact that Jesus became flesh and blood so that he could take death. He can't take death if he doesn't assume humanity. So he becomes a killable person so that he can be killed. And why did he do that according to this passage? So that through his death, in verse 14, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. 
He doesn't say it so that he can destroy the one who thinks he has the power of death, but what an idiot, what a moron. He actually doesn't have any power. What, what height of arrogance for a spiritual being to actually take on God and think that he can own people through death. No. He has the power of death. Jesus didn't come to destroy someone who wielded no power. He came to beat someone who did have power. Jesus is just better. But if we have this thinking like, eh, devil, really what we have in front of us is our lives, our careers, the things we can see and touch and smell and taste, and we don't think devil. Now, can people overthink devil? Sure. But if we underthink it, we lose the weight of verses like this. That the very reason why Jesus came to die is to beat the power of the devil. So, I think it's interesting that as you read Scripture, even though the devil is this accuser and this is being that uh, cannot operate outside of God's will, outside of God's power, outside of God's constraint, he can't do anything he wants. Of course, in the book of Job, he needs God's permission, doesn't he? to touch Job. But once God gives him permission, pretty powerful stuff. Storms, diseases, murder. And if we think of the devil as something out there that has nothing to do with us, I think we miss what's going on in Scripture. Go back to the garden. You have this serene Eden, this garden, and things are pretty perfect. And this, this, uh, this serpent, this snake, this crafty, cunning being enters the scene, right? And God has told man, if you eat of this tree, you will, you will die. So their father tells them, hey kids, if you eat this tree, you will die. And the serpent comes and goes, no, 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 don't listen to him, listen to me. You can eat this tree and not die. Not only will you not die, you'll have this wisdom, you'll have this ability, this discernment, this knowledge. Access it. Unlock it. You won't die. They listen to that voice instead of their father's voice. And what happened in that moment is a transfer of families. They lost one last name and got brought into a slavery family. This is why in John 8, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, right? And they're like, we're our father's Abraham. Our father's a father God. What does Jesus tell them? Your father is Satan. Because if you were really children of Abraham, Abraham being that uh, person through whom the promised seed would come, after Adam and Eve eat that fruit and death takes a hold of them, they become slaves to death. Jesus promises, doesn't he, that through the woman would come a seed, and through that seed would become one who comes and crushes the head of the serpent. Well, the the ancestor of that seed is Abraham, and if you were really sons of Abraham, you would bless the seed. You would see, I'm here to crush the serpent, and you don't. You want to crush me. Why? Because you love your daddy, and your daddy's the devil. 
You see, we, we think if somebody's dad is the devil, that must be somebody foaming at the mouth, somebody with extra human powers, somebody that was born with three sixes on their forehead. You know, we get our stuff from Hollywood. He's just saying, if you are not with me, you're against me, and if you're against me, you're of the, your father's agenda. And you don't need to know it for it to be true. You don't have to walk around going, I, I serve the devil. You may not be aware of it, but that's the family you're in. It's slavery. And here's how it shows up. Fear of death. The way in which the devil owns people is not showing up in the closet, not as the boogeyman. He doesn't hide under the bed. He's not trying to scare you. He just wants you to not cling to Christ so that you can get to the point where you die and you're his. That's his power. Everyone's going to die. And once that curtain is drawn... You will go under the oversight of one of two fathers. And the thing is, for all of us, we were all going in the same direction, the same destination. Some of us more overtly than others, but we all were slaves and under death. He says it right there. He says that through death... Jesus might destroy the one who has the power over people in the occult, over people who do play with Ouija boards. No, everyone outside of Christ. He says, to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So who does the devil have power over? Was there, is there anybody that you can think of who, doesn't, who is not under death? Every gray hair, every wrinkle, every time you have to keep upsizing the font of your Bible, I'm sorry to tell you, it's slowly creeping death. That's everybody. And he's come to destroy the one who has that power of death. The devil's ultimate power is death. He accuses us. He accuses us of sin. Not any of us, not one of us could say, wait, that accusation doesn't fall on me. I haven't sinned. No, the accusation does fall on you. And guess what the wage is? Guess what you've earned? The paycheck that you've got to cash because the work that you did was sin. Death. Death. That's Satan's power. And it's not a pretend power. It's not a power he thinks he has. He actually has it. So Christ didn't come to die to add a couple of nice things to our lives, to teach us good ethics and morals. He's dealing with the devil's power of death. Verse 15, And to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. There might be some people who say, well, I don't fear death. And in the immortal words of the venerable Master Yoda, you will be. You will be afraid. There will come a time where you realize, oh snap, <laughs> there was two options there. There are two destinations. And I'm stuck in the wrong one. How do you get out? You can't crawl out by your own effort. You know you can't crawl out by undoing what you did. You already did it. The accusation already sticks. Whatever you do tomorrow, you already did yesterday. You already did yesterday's stuff. So there's always accusations that are going to stick. And if the accusations stick, 
The devil's got his power. But Jesus comes and he takes on flesh and blood to transfer you back to his family. That's why he says in verse 13, Behold, I and the children of the children God has given me. And then verse 14, Since therefore the children, that's us, those who are in Christ, share in flesh and blood, what are we? We're flesh and blood, we're humans. Therefore he had to share the same things, flesh and blood, to give us that new last name, to make us children. He likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. I love, I love that it doesn't say to destroy the power that the devil has, but to destroy the one who has the power. Satan will meet his end. Satan will meet his destruction. Jesus doesn't just barely win. He completely and utterly defeats the devil. And he makes us his children. See, what unites us is not our politics. What unites us is not our race, our ethnicity, our background. We are crazy today. We are like, we are like inner city kids with no dads, and the closest gang that comes along and wants to initiate us, we're like, yeah, sign me up. We love gangs. And so we wear the hats and we, we follow the, the cultural leaders and the cultural icons. We follow their Twitter accounts. It's a nonviolent gang, maybe, but it's still, we, we crave identity. We want to take sides and we want to join fights. And I'm saying, good, join, join the fight. But that's not your fight. Your next door neighbor might be annoying. That's not your fight. The people that post stuff on Facebook and it, it's, 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 it's maddening, that's not, that person is not your fight. If there's something happening behind the scenes that is splitting churches and splitting families and splitting seminaries, yeah, I think there's stuff happening behind the scenes. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against powers and principalities. And they're at work to destroy and if we find our ultimate identity and what my skin color looks like or what, what party I vote for, we'll be fighting against the wrong thing here. What is our unity? Our unity is that no matter how old you are, no matter where you were born, no matter what you look like, what your skills or abilities are or what your background is, you're my brother, you're my sister. This is the family you'll be with in eternity not the ones around the table at Thanksgiving. As heartwarming as that is, and as precious as that is, this is greater. This is the family. We have become children of Christ. And therefore, we don't fear death. We don't fear it. We can take a turn in this country pretty quickly. Where I get locked up, right? Where you get pressed about your faith at your job, school and it might actually start costing something you see when he says deliver us from the fear of death he's not saying we should all long for death let's all hope that we die let's all leave here with a death wish tonight 
No. He's, he's writing to people that are experiencing uh, a kind of persecution as he reminds them. You don't have to turn there, but in chapter 11, he's like, what has it been like to follow God? What has it always been like? It says, verse 32, chapter 11, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Oh, I guess nothing can touch you. No, listen. Some, not because they were less, not because they weren't part of the group, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Are we that hardcore? Or do we just kind of go to church? Like to get there, it's not a death wish, but death is not the end all for you. You can take my job, you can take my career, you can take my life. I'm a part of a family now, and I don't have to live in slavery to the fear of death. Death is going to come. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that without getting all weird? Death is going to come. Death comes. None of us are going to dodge it. But we don't have to fear it. Because Christ took the sting out of death. He took the sting out of death right there and transferred you to an eternal family, a real family. That's your identity. Let's lean into that. Let's lean into unity, especially in these crazy, dark times of disunity, and make sure that our unity is in the right place. I want to close by reminding you of how the book of Revelation opens up. I began with Genesis and what happened in the garden and the promise that Jesus would crush the serpent. John says in verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Uh, the, the tagline for the book of Revelation is Jesus wins. He wins. And whatever happens in this life, disease, persecution, tough times, rough times, sorrow, grief, opposition, persecution, we win. I mean, we can't be touched. But you have to be in the right family. And I hope and pray, tonight, if you're not sure who your daddy is, talk to somebody here. Talk to somebody here. We don't want to assume it just because we come to church. And see if you've placed your faith in Christ, who's God himself, come to take on flesh and blood so that he can take the death that was ours to have. So he can wear the, per, the, the accusations for us so that Satan has no accusation anymore against us. And if he has no accusation against us anymore, he can't control us with death. 
we have eternal life. Let's pray. Fathers, we close in the song. We want to appreciate the death of Christ. We want it to impact our lives. We want it to change our outlook of what really counts, what really matters in this life. We pray that as we close in the song, Father, you would allow our hearts and our minds to rise to the message of this text. Allow us to embrace it and live it. Lord, receive this song as a, an offering of our thanks and our desire for you to continue to work in us, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.